All right. All, all right, right. All right. Welcome all right. to Incarcerated. I'm Lee Scott. I am Kevin Scott. And uh, make sure you follow us, uh, not in a police car, but on Twitter, um, at Uncarcerated on Twitter. Hit that like, rate, and subscribe button. If you are a first-time listener or viewer to the show, welcome. This show basically uh, covers narratives for people as they're coming home from institution to varying degrees. Uh, we've had people that have been home for a week, people that have been home uh, for years. Uh, we talk about their journey uh, into the criminal justice system, what their experience in prison was like, and then the triumphs and pitfalls on that journey home. And, um, and then we also talk to people in the prison reform world as well. And the I guess the two main themes of the show, Kevin, one, we want people to be able to tell their own stories and for, for, for the guests, you know, uh, be able to capture their own stories for the viewer. We want to show you that, uh, the people going to prison maybe aren't who you think they are and, uh, their experience there is, is pretty awful. And then the other part of the show is sort of the, uh, idea that we would like to send less people to prison and make the experience a lot less traumatic um, in whatever small way we can. That sounds like an improvement. Uh, so <laughs> I, uh, I think also it's cool that we, we, at least one time we have talked to somebody who's still currently incarcerated, which hopefully we can have more of that in the future as well, which is an amazing uh, sort of time in a person's life to be able to hear their experience in real time. And then also you kind of mentioned like talking to other people like sort of working in the world of incarceration, uh, which is a pretty decent segue to uh, some advocacy groups on the outside who've been very active in the last week or so in particular, uh, because in the news um, and Alachua County where we are has been sort of a ground zero for this. Uh, there's been uh, folks who believe they had the right to vote uh, because of Amendment 4, which restored felons rights to vote. Uh, who voted and who have now been charged with voter fraud uh, because of the confusion uh, of the law. And so now there's been uh, some legal uh, gathering of resources and financial gathering of resources to help these folks um, get uh, basically like a, a due process in court to figure out like what in the fuck happened. And so Florida Rights Restoration Coalition has been uh, pretty much at the front of, of getting all that stuff happening, but coincidentally happens to be in the county where where we are sitting right now. So. Yeah, I mean, uh, the idea that we had stripped people's voting rights um, for any reason, let alone making a mistake, in, in the first place was pretty ridiculous. And then, of course, people here locally that Kevin works with and that I know did a, a ton of work uh, to get Amendment 4 passed and restore people's voting rights. And there's a lot of, like, hang-ups and technicalities and... Um, and I, and I just think it's awful that uh, people are making it their life's mission to undo that. Um, and of course the spin is gonna be, look, prisoners voting in elections, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's what the headline's gonna read. Criminal does crime. And, and eventually these charges, will, you know, hopefully will be dropped and everything will get cleared up, but the headline will still be there. And I'm sure nationally um, people are gonna use it as talking points. And that's pretty awful. That's like propaganda 101. For sure. So. I mean, and like that's another, and maybe this is a, a semi decent segue to talk to our, our guest today of somebody who's been home for a little bit. But the, the idea that 
uh, it doesn't end at the prison gate. Your sentence may be done on paper, but your life is still hampered by this. It's still tethered to that experience sort of the rest of your days. And so like sometimes, you know, many, many, many years later, you're still haunted by that. I, I talked to somebody this week who has done incredible shit has like helped to basically like uh, operate uh, the group that was behind Amendment 4, raised $30 million to help settle people's fines and fees. And she still has a hard time finding a place to live just because she has a record of her own. So like it doesn't, it almost like doesn't matter what you do in the eyes of society. You're still that thing on that piece of paper. Anyway, so like that, that's the reality for most people who've been in prison. Well, and I think that that's the, that's the big tangible stuff, like finding a place to work, finding a place to live, uh, being able to financially support yourself, which is struggle enough in this world without having a criminal record. But then there's all the intangible stuff. I can tell you that I've been home for years and I still have incredible uh, hangups that I'm not doing enough, that the world's going to fall apart, you know, constantly apologizing for shit I didn't do, you know, like just little things like that, that, that carry over with you for many years. Um, and you constantly have to remind yourself, I'm allowed to be here, you know, so. Um, well, I, I know one of the things that, that can be so helpful uh, after incarceration is like connecting with other people who've been through it. Like there's something like so powerful about like, holy shit, this guy understands. He's, he's been through it. He knows what a chow hall looks like. He's been through count time. He's been through all- Yeah, if you know anyone I could talk to, that'd be great. Yeah, I'll, I'll see if I can find somebody. Uh, but like, there's something like amazing about that that helps on the, um, on the after incarceration. But during incarceration, for me, that was especially important, was having connections with people that were like, uh, like-minded or like, um, sort of like about the same shit that I was about. And like having some like friendships and like real brotherhood while while in prison. Road dog. Road dog. I've had two road dogs on here. This will be your second road dog. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So our, our guest today is John, my buddy John Poet, who is uh, somebody that uh, we very much vibed when I was in prison. We spent a lot of time together. We were buddies. We had some good times. We had some bad times. Went through it all. Uh, but yeah, John, come on, man, and we'll unpack a little bit of your your story look at that John, welcome hey to the <laughs> right I, I just like woke up i thought i missed chow time so i'm glad i'm here <laughs> yeah, yeah it's good to see you man so uh good to see you i guess like thank you, you know, uh thank you for letting me be on the show man it's uh it's an honor to be honest you know especially my my good friend kevin you've been really important in my life in prison and after prison and i get to meet your significant other, Mr. Scott. So, right. you know, it's, it's, it's quite an honor to be here. And thank you for the thank you for the three soups and the two honey buns you sent me for being on the show. I really appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, that shit was steep, man. You don't come cheap. <laughs> you sent me back, man. No, it, it's <laughs> so like maybe one like great way to start is just sort of like hear a little bit about your you know background, like prior to going into prison. We obviously want to focus on the time inside, the time after, but maybe just for a little background, just what was going on in your life before you went in? Yeah, sure. Um, this is early 2000s. I was pretty heavy in the drug game, cocaine, ecstasy, working for a major unit, you could say. And, um, you know, someone robbed one of my workers for a significant amount of money. And I felt it was uh, appropriate for me to step in and do something about it, which is totally dumb. And um, I ended up shooting someone. 
um, and lighting them on fire inside their vehicle. They survived the attack. I got 10 years in prison for attempted murder. Um, I didn't snitch on anyone, which is really important, I think, in my life. Um, five years probation on top of that. I got off early term probation about three years ago. Had you, yeah. when, when you first, so obviously you went to the county jail and you went to, uh, where'd you go to Orlando for the reception center? Yes. And yeah, so my, well, I spent eight months in Hernando County because that's where the crime happened. I actually lived in Tampa at the time. Um, I had that, that mindset like a kingpin, like I could get away with this crime. So I'm going to take this guy to Brooksville where it's all wooded and I'm going to kill him there. I'm going to get away with this and I'm going to run to Mexico. Everything's going to be fine. And I did that. I ran to Mexico. I was in Matamoros, Mexico for four weeks and I got um, caught on the border coming back in to Brownsville, Texas. And they shipped you back to Hernando? Correct. Yeah. In a van with U.S. Marshals. It was a fun time. Yeah, I took one of those uh, van rides, John. Can we can we talk about that a little bit? Because I uh, I didn't do as much time as you did, but I did a significant amount of time. And I got to say, uh, the four days in that van was by far <laughs> yeah. the worst experience yeah. I've ever had. I still don't like riding in a car with someone while they're driving. I would much prefer to drive. Yeah. Um, I mean, that it's ridiculous that they're even allowed to do that. Yeah. So let me ask you, did they stop at McDonald's and Burger King and get you the two burgers and a glass of water? One time they, they, they stopped at Burger King once. They were only supposed to drive for like, I think it was like eight hours on and then like eight hours off was supposed to be the rule. But one of the legs was like 21 hours um, without stopping. Um, and then, of course, they pull the vans over at these undisclosed locations. You can't use the phone. Right. There's you know, no, it, it's ridiculous. Uh, my, I have a memory that's popping in my head. Like they pulled over at a rest stop. I don't know where, I don't know what state we were in, but I think there was like four guys in the van and they literally like closed off the whole bathroom so that they could chain us up and like take us into this bathroom and stand over us while we, you know, use the bathroom and told all the visitors or people that are on vacation or just resting at this rest stop. You can't come in here. You know, these are wanted people or, you know, these are dangerous people. And that just stuck in my head, you know? Can, can you tell us, like, what, do you remember what your mindset was when you were in that van and then getting back to county and you're facing, like, I would imagine a significant amount of time. Like, where was your head at there? Had you, had you come back down to earth at that point and thought, oh, shit, what did I do? Or were you like you know, run it, like, I don't care, like, where were you at mentally then? Well, for years and years, you know, in that time frame that I was living that extravagant life, I was making probably 20 grand on a low end a week, um, like 80 grand a month. So, but with all the pressure that came in, like, I always was watching my back, always had things to worry about. And Whenever I ran to Mexico, I thought that I could just hide out and live there forever. So whenever I got busted at the border coming back in, like it was almost like a relief, like it's over. I can rest now. 
Like, I don't have to watch over my back anymore. I don't have to worry about anything anymore. And that's like really sick mindset to have, you know. But that's that's how I, I knew I was I was going away for a long time because my my charges, they were first degree attempted murder with a firearm, kidnapping while armed with a firearm and conspiracy to give, commit first degree murder. So I was like, well, this these, these all carry a life sentence. Yeah. So when they got me back to Hernando County, they actually were preparing me for the death penalty, which I, I thought was really strange um, because my victim, he was still on life support in the hospital because he had over 43% of his body was third degree burned and he had a bullet in his lung. So they didn't expect him to survive this. So to be prepared for the death penalty, I was like in shock. Then they had me on administrative confinement and a public defender came to see me and I actually signed. They're like, you're going away for life. I was like, well, let me sign for 25 years right now. And I did. Then I, uh, I actually hired a lawyer and we retracted that statement, which is great. But just to, just to sign your, your life away for 25 years, you know, that's kind of insane, you know? So when you were there in the jail, like you're waiting for like eight months, I guess you were there. That was the total yeah. time, Fernando. Did you have any, anyone to like, any preparation for what prison was going to be like? Like you, you, you're now like, okay, I'm going to go for 10 years. Uh, yeah. what, what, what do I need to prepare? How do, how do I get set for this experience? Yeah, county jail, I felt, um, was a big joke because you have guys that been to prison before. So I felt like just to pass their time, People that never been into prison, we're gonna fuck with you a little bit, you know. Yeah. So you know, I, I'm covered in tattoos. So they go, oh, you know what they call them in prison? I'm like, what? They're like, they're called don't fuck me tattoos. I'm like, really? They're like, oh yeah, you're you're too cute for prison. He's like, as soon as you oh, get there, man, you're gonna have to do yeah, something. I heard you're that too. Do something. I'm like, what are you talking about, man? I'm like, what the fuck? So yeah, I was scared shitless when uh when the van picked me up like three in the fucking morning from Hernando and took me to Orlando. Then they, you know, they strip search you outside and they put you through all that bullshit, the orient orientation process. Then when they jump you on the yard, because they always put you on the yard, you know, I I'm thinking, I'm like, all right, they're going to like take advantage of me. Somebody's going to jump me. What, what the hell is going to happen here? Then, you know, what they call them in prison. I don't want to, you know, talk about our homosexual community. But, uh, you know, they call them punks in prison. And I could see that like a mile away. There were, there were more punks than there were actually like straight guys in there. So I'm like, whew, I'm safe. There's more people giving up the pussy than people trying to take it. You know, cool. I don't know if that was. That's going to be that's going to be the tagline. I, you know, I found that like super. Uh, I was always like I grew up in the punk rock community. And so I was like. I've always thought punk was great. You know, you yeah, don't say punk. that out loud. Yeah, punk. Yeah, I'm prison now. I'm also a punk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you were yeah, at, don't say that there. Don't do it. When you were at the reception center, how long were you there for? I was there for five weeks. Yeah, okay. And, and was I, was, it I was at the main unit for four weeks, and they sent me to the east unit for one week. Then they transferred me. My first camp was Liberty CI. Yeah, that's a good which uh, most people don't know that that's in, you know, the panhandle of Florida, about 30 minutes from Tallahassee. Yeah. Yeah. At the time, 
um, back in 2007, when I went in, it was noted as the most violent prison in Florida. Yeah, back in, uh, I went in 2010, and it was Liberty, ACI, Columbia were the three So you were at Liberty then? No, I was at ACI. You went to Liberty? I went to ACI. Okay. Yeah, gay CI is what they call it, right? Right. Yeah. Is that true? Is that true? I never been there. Um, I mean, not really any more or less than any other place. But uh, when I got there, they put me. Um, the east unit was the medical unit, and the west unit was the work camp. And when I got there, they I was on the east unit for like a month or two, and then they moved me to the west unit. To to go out the gate and work outside and um they did a big sweep and um took uh everyone that was a punk and moved them all into one dorm so everybody oh, really? was in one dorm and you'd walk by that dorm and there was like people like sleeping in the same bed together and everything it was it was wild so it was like rome it was like a harem of like nothing Caligula. but dicks and ass like yeah i would have loved that dorm Kevin and I would have fucking ran that dorm, actually. But I have an interesting story about the whole working outside the gate thing. Um, maybe we'll get into that later. Um, or, unless you want to get into it now. Yeah, no. Uh, how, how long before you were moved down to, like, medium security and went out the gate? Like, how, how, what was the first part of your bid like? Okay, so I, I spent, I think it was a month at Liberty. Then they sent me to their annex, which is called Quincy. Quincy Annex, which is about 30 minutes away. And it's like a three-dorm camp. It used to be the cooking school back in the day. But they took that pro program out with funding and all that other shit. So I spent uh, a year and four months at Quincy. I put in my good adjustment transfer to Avon Park, Polk, and I forget the other one but they approved me for Avon Park. So I spent a year and four months at Quincy, then they transferred me. We went through Butler, and that's an interesting story because they sent me to the West Unit, and everybody knows about, you know, the stories about the West Unit. They have wow, the wow, gold wow. teeth. They have the gold teeth in a jar there when you go in through reception and K. Wang Slim and all that other crazy, you know, prison stories you hear. Yep. But the interesting story, when I got to... Uh, when I got to the West unit, you know, they were country as hell at that time. All the guards were. And I later found out about this whenever I got out, not while I was there. But uh, I guess that the West unit at Butler, they had a high, like with the guards, there was like a lot of KKK members and a lot of white supremacist members that were guards there. What? I didn't know that then. <laughs> That's surprising. No, that they actually did a sting. The, yeah. the FBI did a sting on. Uh, I think I might have sent you the link, Kevin. But yeah. they they did a sting on correctional officers there about an inmate that was there, a black inmate that was there, and they were trying to kill him afterwards. Did I ever send yeah. you that link? He was, so, he, was already, he was already released. Okay, really. yeah. So, so I was there at that time, and in uh, you know the. We were, we were in the reception process at, on the West unit and this guard came out, you know, country as hell. And he started to talk about like all you black inmates that like to have these white women come visit you and blah, blah, blah. Like he was going off on all the, 
you know, not white inmates, but any anything that was a different color than uh, white, he was going off on. And I was like, holy shit, this is really fucking happening right now. But uh, got through that shit, uh, transferred to Avon Park. I met Kevin. What 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 year did you come in, Kevin? Uh, Thirteen. Thirteen. So I I was there two years already. No, I, I was actually there longer, three years maybe. Okay. Yeah, you seem pretty like established by the time I got. There. <laughs> yeah. Did but you yeah, know, um, you know, kudos to Kevin because, like, he was truly. Kevin, like this guy right here, he he got me through some of the worst times of my life. Like if it wasn't for you, man, I don't know if I would be on this program right now, man. For real. Likewise. Like you were amazing to me. Like we've had some really intimate, amazing conversations. Um, you've been a true friend. Yeah. That that is a fact. Yeah. Same, same. We had some good times and some bad times. We did, man. <laughs> and comedy, like that's that's what I love about your show because you know, that's that's what got me through the whole prison experience was comedy. Yeah, for sure. Like, I remember, I think you said something about laughing at a funeral. Like, that's that's how I am. Like, I can do that, you know? Yeah. And that was my my mechanism to survive the whole thing. And that's what Kevin and I would do all day. We would fucking crack jokes, crack on, like, other inmates, crack on guards. That's how we survived every day. And it was just a whole bunch of fucking laughter. Like, I laughed. I've laughed the hardest in prison. I cried the hardest in prison. I loved the most in prison. Like, you know, people think prison is all bad. It is, but it's not in, in another way. It, it, it sounds really fucking crazy, but like you, you get the, you get the feel and experience every emotion as a human and yeah, prison I, provides that for you. I also think like for most people in prison were sobering up you know, they say you're emotionally arrested at the first age that you used at. So, you know, this is the longest period in a lot of our lives that we had been physically and emotionally sober. So, you know, we're laughing legitimate laughter for the first time since maybe we were yeah. kids. We're, we're feeling yes. emotions. We're missing people um, in a way that had been numbed by using for so long so and you're doing it right. around a lot of other people with a collective experience which i i think the value of shared experience can't be underrated so it was definitely the hardest i've ever laughed was was there now when you mean using do you mean like drugs or alcohol or something like right. that right okay yeah see i didn't i didn't really have that issue so much because like when i got to prison there were more drugs in prison than there were on the street no no. Come on, <laughs> no, Kevin. Yeah, I know. What's going on? Hell yeah, I know. I know. I mean, there were, there, there, absolutely there were. I mean, I can tell you some stories, not mentioning any names and like walking into a cell and there was like maybe a pound of fucking K2 on their table yeah. or, you know, uh, you, you remember Gula. Like I remember walking back to my cell and Gula was on fucking ecstasy. Like rolling his ass off. Yeah. Well, that sounds like, like the, the worst f- experience. Yeah, fuck that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I would like. I, I we I've, obviously we weren't getting high in prison. Right. Personally, a lot of people were, and I I do not understand how. Like I could never do it. Yeah. I, I wouldn't yeah. want to be that out of control. I and mean, we saw people like yeah. you know getting drunk as fuck all the time, getting high, 
getting into fights. Yeah. Like, this is just miserable. Like this is like the worst place to be doing this. Like what a what a not a not a great place to like lose I, control of your ability to defend yourself to like right. see what's coming behind you like all that shit yeah passed out sleeping mm-hmm. too hard like uh, i'll tell you one time i was at lake butler and um i had a bunkie who was like you probably experience this at lake butler they've got the permanents there right the people that are permanently they wear white instead of blue and, and they're like they're like the guys with the, the wristwatches yeah. in the overcoat you know like they're hustling all the people coming in and my bunkie was a permanent yeah. and uh he had 30 years and he was from new york and i remember him telling me his story and uh one night he goes uh he goes hey man you want to smoke some weed and i was like nah man like I, i'm not interested or whatever and he, he goes he goes listen if you're gonna smoke now's the time to do it because when you get to your camp they're going to drug test you occasionally so so now would be the time so i'm like fuck it so he rolls this joint and puts sugar on it it was the only time i'd ever seen that you know because if you they would put sugar on their joints because then it (laughs) smells like someone burnt something in the microwave instead of smelling like right so it was the middle of the night and we hunkered down in the corner by where those heaters were and he starts smoking this joint with me and he starts telling me this story he's like yeah, man, if you do enough time, you start to see people for who they really are. Like this mask comes off, <laughs> you know, you know, the last guy I smoked with, he freaked the fuck out, but you'll be all right. And then he walks away and I was just sitting there. I was like, what? <laughs> Never again. Now, were you, Never did any more were, drugs. Were, you, were you in prison when they took the cigarettes out? It was the, I got there two weeks after they, so I had two weeks oh. of smoking cigarettes. Oh, yeah. I can tell you some great stories because I was there for that whole transition and that was fucking wild as shit, man. People are like taking packs of tops and trying to bury them on the rec yard and, yeah. you know, stash them everywhere they could stash them at. Yeah. It was a wild time, man. I think that was what, 2011 they took that shit out? 2010. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. 2010, 2011. Yeah. Yeah. That was a wild time, man. But, but what the prison don't realize is that creates a black market. You know, you have you have guards that are making what ten, maybe fifteen dollars an hour to work at that prison, and they can you know they can bring in a pack of cigarettes to an inmate or a cell phone or whatever, and you know their their monthly pay would be that in one drop, you know. Right. Yeah, we we would see that. Like we you know there were we knew the guards that were bringing shit in, and they would like bring in a pack of cigarettes to somebody. And then he would go back later that night and bust them and take the pack of cigarettes from them and then go sell to somebody else. It was fucking diabolical. Yeah. Yeah. And then they, 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 you know, they make your family get searched like crazy coming in as if everyone's bringing all the shit in, but really it's, it's typically the the staff. But I, I, maybe it's a a sickness inside my head, but in some ways I miss prison because I miss that camaraderie. You don't have that here in the free world. Yeah, you really, you know. So, uh, as you're getting closer to coming home, like, uh, was there a point during your bid where, like, I guess this is a two-part question. At what point had you like decided? I know you said you got some relief when you got picked up. Was that the moment that you said, "That's it." this is a new life for me. I'm never going back to that life. And then the second part of that question is, 
what were your plans for yourself as you got closer to going home? Yeah, I mean, I had, I had plans of, and that, and that's a, a really hard question to answer because while, while you're in there, as you guys know, you guys make these grand fucking plans of what you're going to do when you get out, but like half of that shit never happens. You know what I mean? Well, we're doing it right now. I was like, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to do, do a shitty podcast. <laughs> right. <laughs> Set the bar yeah. low. Yeah, I, I had plans, but I, I wasn't really ready for what was going to transpire when I got out. And when I got out, it was like a rude awakening. Yeah. You know, no, like my experiences with jobs, like I try to get hired with Coca-Cola. I try to, because, you know, in prison, they give you all these lists of people that hire felons. Right. You know, and I'm like, okay, Coca-Cola hires felons. And I remember going to the Coca-Cola plant and trying to get a job there. And once they ran my background, they're like, ah, can't hire you. Yeah. I'm like, you guys hire felons. They're like, yeah, we hire felons, but not your felon. Not your felony. I'm like, that's insane to me. Yeah, could, could you talk about like, um, I, I think that's a really good thing to talk about. It's like the difficulty of finding like employment, housing, things like that. Could you talk about like how many times you had to go to job interviews before you actually got a job? How many apartment hunting things you went on before you found a place to live? And like, yeah, just what, what the reality right. is. I don't know if I answered his question properly, though. So. No, no. Answer what you wanted? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I think that dovetails into Kevin's question, which is, you know, we, we kind of want to hear yeah. about like what your journey home was like. Yeah, it was it was tough. I mean, um, when I got out, I was going to go live with my mother who lived in a 55 and older trailer community. And, uh, you know, that community doesn't allow felons to be there. So my mom actually hid me out for years of me living there before I could get established and go out on my own. So, I mean, it's tough, man. I, I've been out, what, seven years now? And, I, and to be honest, I can't believe I haven't been back. I, right. I've been one of the lucky ones because of all the hurdles and struggles we have to go through. Has it, has it affected you? I mean, obviously this is probably a dumb question, but it, you know, the, the tangible struggle of finding housing and work and being independent yes. and leaving that behind, 100%. has it also affected you mental health wise? Has it been depressing? Oh yeah, of course. I, you know, I'm a heavy drinker. Yeah. Because of, uh, because of prison. I, mean, I wouldn't say uh, that's an excuse, but you know, I, I think I drink more now. I'm, I'm not, I've never been really a drug user, so drugs are not my thing, but, uh, you know, alcohol for sure. You know, I think I have, I definitely have PTSD. Um, I don't know. Have you guys experienced dreams of still being in prison? Oh yeah. I, had one I, get, last them night. I get them all the fucking time, man. Yeah. At least a couple of times a week. Yeah. And the most frightening one is when, uh, Kevin's naked inside myself, you know? Yeah. That's actually uh, just like a bag of freedom. Yeah. With a bag of freedom. He's like, you can get this little chub, but you can't have any of my Fritos. And I wake up in a cold sweat and I'm like, yes. oh my God, I got to have a drink now. 
That's not a dream. That's a, that's called a memory, my man. Yeah. It's like <laughs> secretly been sneaking over to your house in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, you know, you, I know we kind of breezed by it quickly. You made a, you actually made a pretty profound statement a little bit ago about like, I miss prison because of the, the camaraderie. And like, that is like, that's a really hard yeah. thing to, to admit. So thank you for saying that. It's actually a, a brave and bold thing to say, but I, I think that that is something that I can relate to too, because we've kind of talked about it on other episodes and even this conversation of like, it's almost like a rare bonding. There's almost something like uh, potentially like a very pure connection you can have with some other people. Like, you know, I, I laugh harder than ever. I cry harder than ever. There's something like really profoundly real and authentic about the experience of being inside, being like so stripped away. So like that's, that's really meaningful. And I think some people actually go back because of that, because like inside there was something meaningful happening in my life where on the outside, now that I'm home, like I'm just some, I'm just some felon. I'm just some piece of shit on paper. And it's hard for me to like find a job and get a place. And I'm traumatized. Like we're like, if I just go back in there, like that's, that's, yep. those, are my, those are my people. And like, I, I know how to navigate day to day in there and all that shit. So that's, that's, that's an intense yeah. thing. Do, do you remember, Hey Kevin, do you remember the guy shaky? Of course. Do you remember Shaky? Yes, sure. So he he had like a like a F letter or something, and I remember asking him one time. I'm like, "Why have you been to prison so many times?" And he told me, "Do you know how good it feels whenever you get out of prison?" He's like, "That's why I keep on coming back so much to experience that feeling of leaving." Jesus wow! Christ. Wow! That's insane. Did, did he ever tell you that? Uh, no, I, I think I remember you telling me that about him. Yeah. Yeah. after the fact yeah but i was like well this is my first time in prison but i remember whenever i got out i mean it was the most it felt like i can't even explain it in words man whenever i walked out of avon park you know so i can understand what shaky meant by that you know he keeps on going back for that feeling yeah. but that's insane you know yeah yeah it's, our, it's pleasure, really our, our brains are tricky you know like ruining our pleasure centers for years you you take it where you can get it so totally get that and when i think about uh a lot of our times together inside um <laughs> i often think about our times that we had in the tv room in particular just because like that was like yeah. such a like central part uh i wonder if you would be willing just because i think this is so fucking funny to talk about just sort of like the politics of the TV room and the, and the name tags and Mojo. Oh, yeah. And the whole thing. Just because that was such a unique Oh, wow. Experience. Oh, the name tags on the chairs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kevin, Kevin we, we might need to do like three more podcasts with stories with us because I'm yeah. telling you, I had some of the most amazing, phenomenal stories with you. I mean, they're, they're it, to a, I don't know about you guys, but people often ask me about how was life in prison? Tell me about some prison stories. And I always go back to our stories, Kevin, like Mojo, like what he was in there for life. And he was always picking at himself, you know, picking at himself and he would eat it. Like he would yeah. eat his own skin. Like he had some skin in protein. Yeah. Like constantly picking and eating, picking and eating. And Kevin said one time, He's like, he's trying to eat his way out of prison or some shit. It was, it was, or, I don't know, he's going to escape by eating himself. This guy must taste great. Oh, my God. That was, yeah. What was your verbiage, Kevin? What was your verbiage on that? I don't, I, I think I say it wrong, but. 
I, I think I said something like basically like this is his escape plan. He's gonna escape one bite at a time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he <might laughs> <eat> himself. <laughs> oh my god, dude, that was the most hilarious shit ever, man. <laughs> ever. That was so funny. But yeah, the the politics in prison, man. That's you know, Bob. Bob ran our TV room. You know, it, you had a you had to stand on the wall before you could get a seat. You know, and if you don't show up to a couple programs a week. Your, your seat is revoked in the TV room. I mean, what kind of bullshit is that? You know what I mean? You got to put your seat saver out before chow, you know? Oh, shit. Yeah, we, we were in a, in a T-dorm, and so there were six TV rooms, just for anyone who's watching who might not understand. So it's like basically it's a two-story building uh, with six wings, six TV rooms, and like they were very segregated. Yeah, it was, it was pretty much like racially divided. There was like a white guy room. There was there was a, a Spanish room. There was a, a black guy's room. There was a couple that were just sort of like whoever wanted to come in, come in. Like I, I would go to the Spanish one sometimes to watch soccer, but it was pretty like the white guy room at least. It was pretty like serious of like you had to like earn your way into the room. Yeah, and then, and then Bob was not playing around. He was not fucking around. He and he was the, the the VP canteen guy, so he was like he was respected on the on the compound. And then it was like and respected by inmates, right? And then you had to don't get, fucking talk during programs, and you better show up. <laughs> do not speak during a, like if you if you speak, so help you God during a program, you're fucking dead. Bob would he would just give you that look, bro. He would just look behind because he sat in the front row. I sat next to him. He just <laughs> give you that. Yeah. And you knew that you were you were fucking up. And so yeah, and, and Poet and I, we actually got like really primo seats in the front row, and there was this big vertical pipe that ran in the room, and we could put our feet up on the pipe. So it was like we had yeah. like it was like luxury. Yeah, <laughs> it was, yeah, it was. It was yeah, we were pretty in with Bob. Bob fucking loved me. He loved you. Yeah, like you can you can tell us not in that TV room. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we were in there pretty good. But yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, like, we were in there pretty good. You know, the, the politics of like, yeah, the, the silence. And then, like, if somebody new showed up, if somebody like was in your seats, you got to tell them to get the fuck out. Oh, yeah. It, it was a whole, yeah. like, you know, yeah. you might have to defend your seat. It was, it was a whole thing. Yeah. If they push your seat saver out the way and like sat on your, like, it, that, that, that you, we got to fight, you know? I still put my name tag on my couch before. I... <laughs> yeah, I, th I think I still, I might still have my seat saver at my mom's house that Gula made me. Yeah, I, st I think I still might have it. Yeah, I, I think I'd, I might have it too somewhere in a, in a file. Yeah, he he would take everyone's like nicknames or their names, yep. and he would like draw it out and kind of like, you know, make it look kind of cool, like make you know, make it like a bedazzled. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we had similar things. I think a buddy of mine send me the art that we made. Like we did whole cartoons of each other and stuff. You know, <laughs> some buddies of mine still have it. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't feel like we went anywhere with this interview. <laughs> no, it's so, been great. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. like, it, I mean, just to, I know we had like limited time, but like now that you're out, you've been out seven years. Obviously, you, you know, you just kind of alluded to like you still feel the trauma like you know you still carry yeah. the weight the emotional gravity of that like what about like just yeah. in terms of like practical shit like jobs right relationship like, you like know, what's going on now yeah that's i will answer that that that's a great thing you know something that you're trying to put in place kevin 
with the whole application with, you know, are you a felon or not? I know you were an advocate for that for a long time. Maybe you still are, Man, you know, box. still push for that. Um, but I know for me, like uh, the fear of the unknown, like I heard all these stories about prison before I went, I watched all these movies about people in prison and all the horrific things that happened to them while they're in prison. So when I first went in, you know, I was scared to, sh you know, I was scared to death. But now that I spent 10 years in that atmosphere, I'm not scared anymore. Like, it doesn't scare me. Like, I know what I'm, if I ever get in trouble again, I know what I'm going to face. That makes any sense. You know, that, that fear of the unknown is gone now. You know, I don't ever want to go back, but if I do, I know what to do. And that's kind of fucked up for me to think like that. I don't know if you guys feel that way as well, but. Yeah, you're not, the, you're not the first guest that's mentioned that. I mean, I think. Uh, I can relate to a lot of what you've said, the, the nightmares. I mean, I just woke up with one last night, uh, compiling trauma on top of trauma on top of trauma. Um, and, and yeah, there, there, I know I'm never going to go back, but th there, there is the fear of the unknown, like anything can happen. And, uh, and just that idea, once you know, the physical emotional trauma of getting snatched off the face of the earth like that's like nothing that you can even describe and the idea that it could happen at any point that you can get pulled over and get a dirty cop and you know like all of a sudden you're back or you piss off the wrong person i mean hell doing this show there's no telling who we make mad on this show you know what i mean so yeah. so yeah like i, I totally relate I to what you're saying I want to touch on that because I, I, I remember watching an earlier show and you mentioned something about, I think you were coming home and there were cops or something. And you're like, Oh shit, they're there for me. Right. Like every time I, it doesn't matter where I'm at. Even if I see a fucking cop car, if I see a cop, I'm like, Oh shit. Oh fuck. You know, I, it's, it's a constant like PTS moment all, all over again. Yeah. You know, they're there for me. They're coming for me. They're not there for me. Right. You know, but it's it's traumatic. I I really believe that our our state, Florida State, should should they should everybody that's released from prison they should put them through some type of counseling yeah. instead of all these fucking all these programs that they put in place that we should do that just brings money that doesn't help any fucking body. They should put in programs that you know that gives us counseling when we come out because we need it, man. Yeah. We, we need it. Doesn't matter if you spend six months in there. Doesn't matter if you spend six years in there. Doesn't matter if you spend 60 years in there. We need that counseling. We need to get better equated to this, yeah. to life, yeah. back out. Totally. You know, not that stupid ass program they put you in when you're at the end of your sentence. I forget what the program was called, yeah, but they're like, this is how you yeah. sign a check. Yeah, this is how you sign a check. Yeah. This is how you, I'm like, what the fuck is this, man? Yeah, yeah, we, we need change. that. Just the name is insulting. Yeah. You know, yeah, and I and I believe I believe it should be someone that's been in our shoes as well. I believe they should have a prisoner that will give you that counseling that's made it. You know, because you, people like whenever I speak to people and they ask me questions about prison, it's so hard to explain to them what we went through if they weren't not if they weren't there. Right. So, you know, these counselors should be someone that's been where we've been and experienced what we experienced. 
That's what I've been saying. You know, all in all, to be honest, all in all, my prison experience was actually kind of wonderful, to be honest. Like, I never got raped. I never got tried. You know, I, ne I never was in a whole bunch of fights. Like, you know, my navigation through prison has been pretty fucking good. You know, and I have nothing but wonderful stories. It was almost like a vacation to me. You know, I have no horrific fucking stories to tell anyone, you know? I mean, I can tell you what, what's happened. Like, I got to see other people, but, like, nobody ever, like, raped me in the shower. You know what I mean? It, yeah. That wasn't prison for me. Maybe for Kevin, but not for me. <laughs> I'm laughing. That's not funny. You know, I was saying, as you were talking, totally unrelated, you are the guy who, who I, you, there was one day when you were in the TV room, you got up, you walked over the hot water closet, you stood there for a second, and you started airing out your shorts. And I was like, oh, yeah. that's, that's the fart closet. You taught me about the fart closet. God, it's been so long <laughs> since I've seen somebody air out a fart. Nobody right. does that in public. Yeah. Can you imagine if you were in the grocery store and like, like someone just aired out a fart on the bread aisle? Like, oh, yeah. courteous. Like, yeah. What a courteous thing to do. You know, and I, I know like, you know, you know, uh, Kevin had a, you know, a bad experience in prison with his, his roommate and shit, but it wasn't that bad, you know? I don't know. Did you ever talk about that on the program? No, I mean like little bits, but yeah, that, I had, I, had a couple uh, yeah, bad, guy, I had a couple bad fucking bunkies for a while there. Yeah, he ended up fucking dying, right? The guy died. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he passed away. But, he you don't sound remorseful at all. <laughs> you kill a guy? The guy was a piece of shit. Yeah. Cut this piece of shit. yeah. yeah. You know, if anybody I, deserved to die, he would be it. Yeah, he, I mean, he, he was old. I, I think he died of natural causes. I mean, he, I mean, he was an old guy. He was just, yeah, he, I mean, he was, he was the ultimate <clears throat> picture of institutionalized person. Like he, like he had been in for like yeah. decades. And yeah. he, was, he was stuck. That was his whole life. So. But, it, you know, I feel sorry for the person that goes to prison and they have like zero street smarts. Like if you have just a little bit of street smarts, you can navigate prison. Yeah. Those but are the people that really yeah, suffer. If you have zero, you're going to get taken advantage of. You're going to be extorted. Like it's gonna be a very, very horrible experience for you. But if you know how to shut your mouth, have respect, then you're gonna be fine. Yeah, I, I think it wasn't just street smarts that I felt awful for people. Like I knew the people that were gonna suffer and it, to a man, the people that suffered were the guys that didn't know who they were before they got to prison. You know, if you knew who right. you were, if you knew who you were, you can stay in your own lane. You can find your own hustle. You know, you'll, you'll figure it out. But, it, but the people who are like chameleons and, and didn't know who they were, they, they really like, like young kids, like they were the ones that they got stood on, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I feel very fortunate with my prison experience. You know, I really do. Because I heard, you know, I've heard some like really horrific fucking stories. What happened to people in there? And I'm like, damn. You know, like, uh, I'll give you an example. And Kevin, you can relate to this. Like, we heard stories about Paul Biles. Remember Paul? Yeah. Like, whenever he got transferred to another prison, then yeah. like some gang took advantage, took advantage of him. And, right. you know, Paul was serving a 25-year life sentence. He was trying to get on parole. He was under the old system. So he was trying to do the right thing. And, you know, he was at Avon Park for, what, 20 years? 
Then he transferred to another prison, like some Christian camp or something, tried to do the right thing, and he got took advantage of, uh, took advantage of. But I hear Paul was back at Avon Park. I don't know if that's true, but I mean, just stories like that. You know what I mean? Like if you're trying to do the right thing in prison, I don't know. It, it's very hard for you to do the right thing in prison because you have all these obstacles to face. Because if you do the right thing in prison, they're going to think you're a snitch or they're going to think yeah. this or they're going to think that, you know? Yeah, like you can't like do too good. If you do too good, right. then it's like suspicious. But if you, do, if you do too bad, then you're going to have a bunch of fucking problems. So yeah, there's like like the street smarts. You got to have a little like... Yeah, you got to hit the sweet spot. Yeah, it's like a little common sense. And I think that like being able to like really share that experience with some other people. Like I know we, we saw people that were pretty much like loners and just like through whatever for whatever reasons, I just kind of just didn't connect with anyone else. And they had what I would imagine to be an utterly miserable experience. Like being able yeah. to have some laughs and like, just like discuss what in the fuck is happening as we're being tortured somehow made it better. Yeah. Being able to be like, this is horrible. Yeah, I agree. This is horrible. Somehow alleviated the horrible, even for a moment. So I, like that yeah. connection and like you, I mean, you were absolutely pivotal for my survival while I was in there like that that meant a whole fucking lot for real yeah and I yeah. think that's the point of this show is to share these experiences not to normalize it or lessen it um or minimize it but yeah I really appreciate your your candidness your candidity is that I think that's right I don't think candidness is right it's candy I appreciate your candy <laughs> Yeah, that was his nickname besides Ninja. <laughs> I wanted to go over that. How did we get these nicknames? Why why did you why did I start calling you Ninja and why did you start calling me Eagle? I was thinking about that the other day. I'm like, I don't re I don't remember our I, there was that, that was because there was a bird. We were on the rec yard and there was one like the hawks were in town, you know? And uh <laughs> and somehow we were talking about the amazing strength of birds. And and so like, oh, that thing come out here and break your fucking back. I don't know. Oh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> that nickname Ninja uh, took on a whole life of its own to where other people assumed I was a martial arts expert. Oh, that probably helped you out a little. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, damn. They called that dude Ninja. And I was where just, did it come from? Where I did it originate from? I, I think it was it. like, I think it, like you were a ninja in stealth, like knowing I was like cooking something and you would just show up. Yeah, yeah, I think it came from that. I don't know. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it was some silly joke, but then I remember some guy pulled me aside and he was like, he's like, hey man, like, yeah, like, you know, I, I can tell like by the way you walk that you like, you know some shit. <laughs> like, like, and, I, and I was just like, yeah, well, you know. And I, I, I don't never, like to talk about it. Yeah, I, I don't I, like to I never said it. yes. I never said no. Yeah. But like, I was like, I just, this is a, maybe a good nickname. Dude, literally when I met Kevin, every day after that was like a Dave Chappelle Netflix special. That, that was our life every day. I mean, every day. Who, who experiences yeah. that every fucking day? That was Kevin and I. Like, <laughs> we would crack on fucking guards. Like, it was just a fucking full-blown, nothing but laughing, to, like, genuinely laughing and crying that we're laughing so fucking hard. Dude, there was that I, have, one. I have a great story. Okay. Like, my one of my favorite stories with you is probably we had this fat fucking guard. Like, he was fat as fuck. And we were coming out the chow hall together one day and I looked at him. I'm like, man, have you been working out? It looks like you lost some weight. You know, this motherfucker didn't lose no weight. He gained weight, you know, and I don't I don't know his response on that. But that was our life like that. That's what we did. You know, Dude, that, that it was shit, just fucking funny as shit. 
That guy, he looked like a fucking tugboat captain, for one. He, <laughs> he was, I think that's what, that was our nickname for him, was yeah, tugboat yeah. captain. Yeah, think. And, yeah, every time you did that shit, you said, make me fucking weak. Every time he was like, damn, Sarge, looking good. Looking good, Sarge. <laughs> Dude, yeah, every time, I, every time I walked by, every time he worked, I'm like, man, you're looking good, bro. Keep up, whatever you're doing. Whatever you're doing, keep doing it. I used to love gassing them up, dude. That was the best because they can't get mad at you for gassing them up, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Officer Letters was probably Kevin's favorite. Like, we would crack on that guy constantly. Oh, my God. Like, what did he do? Sleep in his truck last night? He didn't shave right. Like, like this guy, like, missed the fucking razor on his face, like, every time. Like, he had patches of hair. (laughs) Officer Letters. He he smelled like I don't like you today. He smelled horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was always doing that shit. Yeah, he's a, he, was, he was a real. I got eyes on you, Scott. Mm-hmm. I don't like you today, Thornton. Yeah. Man, oh my hey, god! Thank you for taking the time out of your out of your weekend to, to talk to us. Um, I feel like we could keep going for hours and hours, and maybe we'll have you back again to, yeah, to get we updates. We could. I think we need to do another one of these. Mm-hmm. I agree, man. No, thank you. And like, your Jeez. honesty and like yeah. your your ability to like really like say some things that are like hard to say it is really special and like an honor that you shared yeah. with us and for other people too i think other people will benefit from hearing that, that yeah i i i want to say like being that open i hope is great to like is cathartic um but it really is going to help other people because it's easy to come on the show we have guests that come on the show that was like Hey, I was in prison and now I went to Harvard. Uh, it's easy to talk about that. Yeah. It's hard to talk about I'm struggling, you know. No, no, it's been a struggle, man. And I, I want to end on this. Uh, you know, I met some of the most amazing, amazing people, artists, intellectuals. I met the most amazing people in prison. But I mo I met the most horrific people in prison as well. I most uh, I met the most evil and vile people in prison so for the guy that's going to break into the car tonight if you want to go to prison go ahead it's going to be fun you'll meet a guy named kevin scott he won't share his fritos with you you'll have a hell of a time so please do it break into that fucking car uh thanks for coming on buddy thank you guys appreciate you man do it again yeah we'll do it again soon uh, thank you guys for watching. Uh, like, rate, subscribe, do all the things. You know all the things. Smash to do. that like button. Smash this, smash that. Uh, we'll be back soon with uh, some other compelling guests. That's right. Next Smash week, Kevin Scott. When you go to prison. <laughs> all right, brother. Talk to you then. Later. Love you.